There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, listen, they want me to say hello. Welcome to the James Well best bits of tonight's show. Wish you can hear every night, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio from 7 till 10. But I said, wouldn't it be best to call it the worst of whale? So have a listen. See what you think. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on Talk Radio. Now, uh, the government uh, are going to apparently drop the salary threshold for immigrants by more than £4,000. Let's talk to uh, immigration lawyer uh, Harjit Bangal, who uh, joins us now. Harjit, is this, is this definite they are going to do it or is it just an advisory uh, committee who said they should? You've got it right again. It's, an, it's a migration advisory committee, which yeah. we call MAC for short. They've published a report. Um, usually the recommendations are taken on board in some form. However, it's not written that they have to be taken down. So they've advised a few changes that need to be made in relation to the current points-based system uh, in line with what the Conservatives said they wanted. And uh, one of them is right. They, they suggested that the threshold for the salary is too high and that should be brought down. So it can allow um, less skilled people, sort of lesser skilled people, we should say, um, to mm. uh, come in and for employers to, you know, especially industries in the construction industry and in the hotel industry, hospitality industry, to then uh, get employees from abroad. But I thought the big uh, conversation around immigration was that people are coming from outside the UK and taking the jobs of British workers. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what the whole argument is of, of Brexit and saying, well, hold on, we're going to stop this migration and we're going to get the British people back into jobs and off the benefits. This was the idea. However, businesses have been arguing that, hold on, this is not going to happen. And in an attempt to do that, you're going to destroy a lot of businesses. Many industries are reliant on foreign workers. Um, you know, you, you don't have to go far. We can go out and look at the, all the cats mm. around the area security guards, cleaners, you know, if you were, I, I live near Heathrow, so most of the airport staff, a lot of this sort of industries, they rely on workers from abroad as opposed to British workers to, to fill their jobs. And they're the ones who are saying, well, if you don't let us employ foreign workers, our business will go to pot. So the government has to look at that and has to look at the economy. And in fact, the, uh, the committee has said today that as a result of the Conservatives' proposals, the, the, it might actually have a negative effect on the economy. I mean, the, the, the fact is that most of our hospitals wouldn't carry on and they're in enough trouble as it is if it wasn't for workers from abroad. Yeah, but from uh, outside Europe, isn't it, a lot of them? 
Yeah, a lot of them are from outside yeah. Europe. Um, and not very many people who come here uh, come here to go on benefits, do they? Well, actually, the big myth, yes, was mm. exposed a couple of years ago when only 4% of migrants take benefits. 14% of British people take benefits. So for British people to then say, well, migrants are coming here for benefits, that's just not true. And the fact is migrants... They don't have access to benefits back home, and they're not allowed to have access to benefits here. On their visa, especially the ones from outside the EU, we see these visas come through every day. There's in bold writing, the first thing it says is no recourse to public funds. If they were ever to walk into a benefits office, they're turned down flat. So say, hold on, you cannot take public funds. So they have to support themselves, and they even have to pay twice for the NHS, because one, they're paying for the NHS through taxes, and they're paying an annual fee for the NHS called an NHS surcharge which is then, you know, pays for the energy per person in their family. So if there's a, a, a family of five, they might be paying a, a 1000 or £1,500 a year on top of the taxes that they pay. Good. And, you know, you? Thank, I think that's the truth. Thank you for that. Come into the studio in the not-too-distant future and we'll maybe do an hour on this subject. A lot to talk about. I'd love to. All right, my friend. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Hardship Bangle, who's an immigration lawyer. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on Talk Radio. Uh, let's talk to uh, Christine Jardine, who is, um, uh, of course, the Lib Dem MP for Edinburgh West. Uh, she has been talking about assisted dying. Not something many people want to talk about, Christine. Um, I'm not sure that's, that's true, James. I think um, we're in a situation now where a lot of people would like to talk about the law as it stands um, because it is unfair to a lot of people. And um, I'm not advocating a particular change or anything other than we look at the law, and which is a blanket ban in this country and unfair to a lot of people, and you know, see if we can improve it to make it more compassionate, mm. make it more supporting for families of um, of, of people who want to choose um, to, to end their lives in particular circumstances. Um, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. I, I cannot understand who the authorities think they are when they tell us what to do with our lives and our bodies. And uh, the answer coming back will be, ah, oh, well, you might you might not be able to make the decision yourself. Uh, somebody may be coercing you. Uh, somebody might actually uh, have, have told you it would be best if you did this. All kinds of stuff. But that could be true, though, couldn't it? I mean, but yeah, well, but that, that is the thing. I think we have to we have to be aware of these concerns. We have to take them into account. Um, and that and not everyone w uh, wants the same thing. And I think. Uh, what we have to do is start from the basic premise that the law as it stands at the moment is unfair. It creates a two-tier system in that if there are people who are um, have an end-of-life diagnosis mm. and um, they're not going to recover and they wish to um, end their life at, at that point, um, if they fear they're going to be suffering, then if they can afford it, they can go to Dignitas. Mm. If they can't, then they don't have the choice. So we've created a two-tier system. But I also appreciate that um, people are concerned about um, the law perhaps going too far. People, as you say, feeling uh, pressurised. Um, I, I know disability groups have concerns about it. And that is why I think what we have to do is have a national conversation now about it. Mm. Um, and politicians need to listen to what the public is saying. There was... 
there was a, a survey done, uh, Dignity and Dying have, have published the results that you know 84% um, of people they spoke to would support a very narrow change in the law. Um, people feel particularly um, strongly, I think, about the fact that um, if you know your loved one decides that they they want to end their life, they have no option in this country. The medical profession, as it stands, um, would not be able to help. Um, you cannot help your loved one yourself, or you could face criminal charges. And even if they go to Dignitas, as we've seen from um, very high-profile cases recently, if they, if they go to Dignitas, the family, when they come home, can face um, charges because it is, you know, it's against the law in England and Wales. There is a law about assisting someone to commit suicide. And in Scotland, um, you could actually be charged um, in some instances with uh, culpable homicide if you help someone. But no one ever is, are they, with the news? Well, they have been. (coughs) But then they... That's the thing. They have been. And the threat is there. And Mm. it's really fair to put people who have Mm. lost a loved one through, who've had a terminal illness to put them through the the agony and the the stress and the trauma of being interviewed by the police, of having a police investigation. That really, I mean, to me, that that is completely lacking in compassion, and that's what's wrong with the laws that stands at the moment. But you know, the the to look at the situation properly. The interesting thing is, having been in that situation in my life, where. Um, you promise your partner or whatever that you won't let them suffer and everything else. Yeah. Uh, it's very difficult to carry that out sometimes because you, you want to keep them whatever the, the, the situation. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you can live for years after you have a terminal illness diagnosed. Yeah. You know, I know. I, I know. 10, and 15 I, years some people live. I know, and I, I, um, I appreciate completely what you're saying. It took me a long time, James, to... Um, you know, sort of reconcile in my own mind the um, the despair I felt when my mother died and the sort of sense of relief in a way that she was no longer suffering mm. because she'd had a particularly nasty asbestos-related um, um, illness that, it, you know, it took her life quite quickly, but it, it wasn't, it was far from pleasant. Um, but you're right, but I think what... Um, most people who say they support it seem to be of the view that if it were a very narrow definition of people who are in the final stages of a terminal illness and have the mental capacity, are judged to have the mental capacity to make the decision, then perhaps they should be allowed mm. to do it. But I think the important thing is that we need to look at whether the law is being fair to people. And that's the important thing. And have the discussion and allow people to... MPs to have a free vote um, and allow um, the public's view and the sort of national feeling about it to be heard and for politicians to listen to it. Uh, Christine, thank you very much indeed uh, for your time. I know this is a subject a lot of people have difficulty with, um, but we treat our... I mean, I know this is an old cliche, but we do treat our animals with more respect at the end of their lives or when they're seriously ill than we are allowed to treat our loved ones or ourselves. And uh, I think this is a discussion that we need to have. Um, Christine Jardine, who is the Liberal Democrat uh, MP for Edinburgh West. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on Talk Radio.
So there we are. I feel I should do a sort of spoof uh, just a minute, really, in tribute to Nicholas Parsons, who has died at the age of 96. Uh, with me in the studio is the Times radio critic Gillian Reynolds. The Sunday Times radio so, oh, critic. Oh, beg your pardon, oh. the Sunday... Well, doesn't that come... No, I suppose... Oh, the Sunday Times. That's yes. even better, oh, isn't it? Yeah. Now, when did you first meet Nicholas Parsons? I first met him on uh, uh, Friday Live, and we were talking about... Um, uh, comedians and stuff, and he was a famous straight man. He'd been with uh, Arthur Haynes, absolutely yeah. brilliant in scripts by um, uh, Johnny Spade, and uh, he Arthur Haynes. You, you're again too a bit young. No, I've to seen remember. you. I've seen it. Though, You've yeah. seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was this irresistible force of um, negativism, mm, yeah. and, and and you had to be a really good uh, partner to work with him, yeah. and he. Nicholas Parsons just got his rhythm and he was wonderful with him. And Johnny Spate, who I also met uh, on that programme, said uh, how he brought every life, hmm. every, every line to life, which is very unusual for a straight He's man a to do. He's a great feed. He was, wasn't great he? Feed, he, he yeah. helped lots of big stars and he never really got... Uh, the the praise, I think, that he deserved because he worked for a long, long time, but he was always there uh, and he he's, he's quite prepared to help other people get the plaudits. Oh, very mm. generous. Mm. And, and that's what made him such a magical chairman of that programme. And again, that was a bit of an accident because they'd originally uh, cast Jimmy Edwards, uh, oh, who was yes. a, quite a different kind of comedian, mm. as the host of uh, Just a Minute an invention of Ian Messeter, who I also met in the olden days. And uh, anyway, Jimmy Edwards wouldn't do it because they were recording <laughs> on a Sunday. And he said, oh, I'm not giving up my Sunday for anyone. Now, where and have I heard that before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Lord's who Day. Won't, who won't work on a Friday? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it was the pub that was more attractive than yeah. the church. Yeah, that would be right. And uh, so that, that was how Nicholas started. And then, uh, remind me, did the television career... At Anglia Television, what was it? Sale of the Century. Yeah. He did Benny Hill as well, didn't he? he did oh, he was. Uh, yes, he did. Com- he did comedy with Benny Hill, but um, Sale, Sale of, the of the Century was his big television Norwich, gig. Norwich, Anglia too. Yeah. yeah. Now, what were the years of that? Remind me. Well, I think that 70s, started back in the seventies and, and ran on a long, yeah. long time. But after just a minute, mm. and just a minute, of course, started off with Clement Freud and Derek Nimmo and so on. Mm. And he always made it this, it, it, it had a kind of sparkle, a kind of class, you know. It wasn't someone being a referee, it was someone being an umpire. Mm. You know, it was more cricket than footy, yeah. put it that way. And Kenneth Williams, he was very quick. yes, darling, yes. He was very quick as well. Yes, even he was Even in the later stage of his life, he was still quick. It was all those years of mm. working with comedians and, and knowing people's body language, knowing when they wanted to talk, when they wanted not to talk and so on. And he was, on, on just a minute, he was unfailingly generous to uh, new players of the game. Mm. It's much harder than you think to talk without hard, repetition yeah. Yeah. Uh, for 60 seconds. And uh, he managed to make it a competition but not a battle. Yeah, know? it was like yeah. till a couple of weeks ago, the last one, wasn't it? I mean, literally yeah. he was doing it till a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you, you knew he wasn't well because, well, you know, 
once you turn 80, believe me, and I'm, I'm 84 now, once you turn 80, everything starts to wear out in the nicest yes. possible way. And you are slower on your feet. You're not necessarily slower in the head. Yeah. And Nicholas was irreplaceable. I, I saw him on the stage about 18 months ago uh, doing... They did a tribute show to him. Mm. And he was just marvellous, limping a bit, but... It was like watching um, a pianist and a singer, the way he picked up the other person's rhythm and just harmonised, verbally speaking. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on talk radio. But you get out of my way if I'm coming with my scooter. Are you telling me to get out of your well, way? Well, for your own benefit. And he said, oh, I'm not giving up my Sunday for anyone. Now, and where have I heard that before? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> what? The Lord's Who Day. Well, I think it was the pub that was more attractive than yeah. the church. Yeah, that'd be right. Don't. I mean, you should be looking into mobility scooters. Will you shut up? Why don't up? you get one? You could drive right up to here. I mean, they're great. You should sit down and drive yourself around shops and everything. Would you have one? Yeah. The trouble is, with well, <clears throat> I don't know where Ash is, but obviously he's probably... Well, I can't see him. He's eating outside the window. Ash, for goodness sake. I'm so sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I do apologise. Ash, if you interrupt again like that, you'll go and I'm stand outside. I found a gap. Are you Roy that used to call me on another radio station? I don't think so, but I remember watching your TV show back in the 90s. No, yeah, you're that's, not. Oh, you're that Roy. Were you more electric boogaloo, weren't you, sort of person? Body puppet. Hang yeah, on, where yeah, you do this? yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. you still got it, man. Oh, You've got yeah. your muscle memory. That was uh, the clips for today, the worst of Whale, or sorry, sorry, the best of James Whale. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed them. Well, I suppose if you didn't enjoy them, you won't be listening, will you? Anyway, I'll be back 7 o'clock until 10, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio. Have a great day. Thank you for listening.